last week, you remember that Keith was diagnosed as having COVID late Saturday night. And I share this, please, not to talk about me, but to talk about God. The messenger isn't the issue. The message is the issue. And so we did some texting elders back and forth. And when he said he could not come in, or at least I'm not sure if I have COVID or whatever, immediately I felt the Holy Spirit say, present yourself, tell him you'll be glad to do the service if he can't come in. And I want you to do it on the title, God is Love. So this morning we're taking the rest of the story. How many of you remember Dave Harvey? The rest of the story, the second part. Yeah, Paul Harvey, that's what I said. You see, Phil is actually awake over there. And so... If you were not here or were not in television land, if you did not listen or hear last week's word, we're not going to recapitulate it. I would really like to do it again. But I'm not going to be able to do that because we want to do part two. Part one, part two today is going to be meaningful, but not as much as it would be if you first had the first part. So if you weren't here, if you did not hear the message last week, uh, I would ask you to listen. I don't really like saying that about the teaching, whatever that I do. I get too much involved in It's about me, but I really do feel that you need to listen. If there's anything about our knowledge of God that is personally significant to us on a very hourly basis, especially these days, I don't think any of you are struggling. Is God going to die. I don't think any of you are struggling with, is God everywhere at at once? I don't think any of us are struggling with those attributes of God that don't connect experientially immediately with us on a daily basis. I mean, how many of you sit up at night thinking If God is eternal, what is the one attribute of God that we are most concerned about most of the time, especially in these kinds of days? What is it? Does God love me? Is there any diminishing in God's love? Is there any weakness in God's love? Is there any limit to God's love, et cetera, et cetera? I think that's where we struggle. And so last week we dealt with the love of God as we connected the essential attribute of God's love. An essential attribute is that which makes God to be God. And you remember we said that God has several essential attributes. And they all are equally, fully, immediately, and comprehensively who he is. That there is no one essential attribute that is more important or more functioning than any other one. Do we remember that? You have to keep that in your mind. And that if any attribute of God, essential attribute of God, to any extent, at any time, for any reason, is diminished, 
to the least a bit, then it denies the very existence of God. So you saw that we talked about God's self-existence, his aseity. And then we saw that God is omnipotent. What does that mean? All-powerful. Therefore, his love is also an omnipotent, all-powerful love. We saw that his love is omniscient. What does that mean? All-knowing. That there's nothing outside of the immediate, comprehensive knowledge of God of anything in all of his creation for all time. And since he is omniscient, his love is also what? Come on, you can say something. Omniscient. And then what was the third one? God is hmm? omnipresent. That means that God is everywhere in his universe fully Instantly, immediately, always, at the same time. We said that all of God that exists is right here with us. But we also said that all of God that exists is also over there in Chalmette. Did we say that? Could that be true, Shane? Since God's love is, um, says God's presence is absolutely everywhere, what does that mean about his love? His love is always with us, all the time, everywhere. Are you with me? So this morning, I want to talk about three more of the attributes of God. His immutability, his sovereignty, and his righteousness. Father, To say that you're great, the moment, Father, we use any adjective, we limit you. But these are the words that you've given us. Father, thank you for your great love. Father, minister this morning by your spirit. Father, communicate to our hearts through our heads tell us who you are in a greater way that we may intellectually understand and know you better in order to experience you better and walk with you in a manner that corporately expresses this love of God for us in Jesus Christ Father, thank you for doing this. We know that you are going to do it. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. What does immutable mean? Unchangeable without change. No variation. How many of you have an immutable disposition? How many of you wives know that when you wake up in the morning, your husband may have a disposition, attitude different than he had yesterday? How many of you husbands know that? If there's one truth about humanity, and there are many, it's this. Change. Change. In fact, there is not one Molecule. I don't know what the smallest thing in the world is now. What have they gotten it down to? A quart? A quark? Quark. That's Stephen Fortenberry, everybody, in the front row. Okay, let's say the quark is the smallest thing. Whatever. I don't even know if I said it right. Whatever is the smallest thing in the creation, there has not nor is there, nor will there ever be a moment when that thing doesn't experience change. 
just the least slightest movement, it changed. Are you with me? It changed. The universe can be described in many ways, but one of the ways is it is absolutely changing and it is impossible for this universe in this created order to be without any change at all. But you see, God has said that I am the Lord. I do not change. Malachi 3, 6, I change not. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's love is immutable. God is immutable. Therefore, his love is what? An immutable love. Now, think for a moment. How does that affect you and me today? Are we experiencing any change in any category of our lives, of our opinions, of our feelings, of our hopes? Anyone experiencing any change at all? No one? We're all experiencing change. And here's, what, here's how we think, and I understand it. I am changing, my attitude is changing, my thoughts are changing, my desires are changing, my way of life is changing. Everything around me is seemingly to be going up in smoke. Since there's so much variation and change and uncertainty in my life, how often do we project that? To the love of God. And we begin to be concerned. In whatever circumstance we find ourselves. In the midst of whatever we are or have been doing. We find ourselves wondering. Has God's love for me changed? Amen. Will God's love for me change if I do not do this or that or if I do this? Now, this is not a carte blanche to do whatever you want to do. We're talking about the very God himself who is love. Can God change? Can he change? Can he change? I, I, my hearing aid's not working. Can he change? Good. Say it louder. Can he change? Well, then the next time you are tempted by Satan to wonder or worry about the changeableness of God in your life, this is what you do when you hear that from his voice. No. Amen. You bellow to him. If your child were running out into the street and Steve Roberts was coming down the street at 50 miles an hour in his vehicle and you know your child is going to be hit, how many of you would say, sweetheart, would you please get out of the street? And yet Satan is coming at us at 100 miles an hour with the biggest semi truck you could ever create. And he's coming at us continually. And what we do is try to sit and wonder about God. And we look at ourselves and we look at our conditions. We are looking at the wrong place and we are not saying the right thing. Amen. We must yell Physically, in our minds, or however, at Satan and deny his ability to impact us detrimentally. Amen. Is there any change in God's love? No. Will there ever be any change in God's love? No. Can we remember that? The next time we are asked to wear masks. Oh my God, there he goes. 
can we remember that next time we get a decree? And I have to remember this. My wife would tell you, we get a decree from some public official that we think is crazy. Can we remember God's unchangeable love? Amen. Amen. The next attribute. <clears throat> oh, sorry. So why? If our love for God may vary, his love for us remains immutable. Why does it remain immutable? Why? Come on, look up here. Look at the screen. What's the answer? Why doesn't God love change? God's love change. Why? Because what? God is love. Is there any other explanation that you are given in the Bible? Nope. God is love. Sovereignty. God is sovereign. Now, by sovereignty, the Bible doesn't mean that God is in charge of a few things. It means that God exercises absolute, complete, comprehensive, instant authority and rule over every aspect of his creation whatsoever and forever. Yeah, I know that believers, something happens, and we like to say, well, God permitted it. That's not the strength of it. God is not in the business of just permitting things in our lives and straighten them up afterwards. This God of ours, friends, is the sovereign Lord. He has not surrendered nor lost any amount even to the least of any of his sovereign rule. And he ain't giving it over to nobody. God is sovereign. What God purposes to do, which is always according to his nature and character. So all of God's purpose and will are in keeping with his nature and character. What he purposes to do can we depend upon that it will be done? Yes or no? God is sovereign. So what he decides, he does. Because he's sovereign. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. So because God is sovereign, it means that God initiates. Man never initiates when it comes to the purposes of God. God initiates. God chooses. God decrees. It is God who does. God moves. He is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, therefore, his love is a what? A sovereign love. What, what does that mean? What is, what is the benefit of that? Listen to this verse. Ephesians 1.4. He, meaning God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before he even created in Genesis 1.1, God determined and decreed and chose us who are his to be his people in Christ. You are here today if you are saved because we are the chosen people of God. And he made the decision according to his personal sovereign right to rule and to make these decisions. You will love today because God chose to put his love upon, in, for us, through us, with us. And God did that knowing how nasty we would act after we were saved. And yet he did it anyway. Why? Because you see, it's not about me or my activities. It is about the sovereign will of a loving God to have a people in whom he would be glorified forever. 
That's the issue. So when it says he chose us, he sovereignly decreed. Now, if you and I have been chosen by and because of and in God's love, can we choose to depart? He chose us knowing what our attitude and activity would be until the day we die. Why? He's omniscient. Knowing every scintilla of our heart, mind, soul, activities, desires, knowing everything. He chose us before he created us. In fact, he created us because he chose us. He created us because he chose us and then saved us at his time to place his love in us. Can a loving sovereign ever lose something that he's determined to do? He's omnipotent. Can he lose the day? He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's immutable. How secure are we in Christ? Even more than that. In love, in the rest of the verse 4 and then getting to verse 5, Ephesians 1. In love, he predestined us to be adoption, to, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. So why, why are we here today? Look up here. Why? Why? Can you read it? Why? What does it say? You can say that. Go ahead. Why are we here today? Because what? God is love. Can anyone fall out of the hand of an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, immutable, sovereign, loving God? There ain't no wiggle room out of this. Now, we're not talking about our behavior. That's a different issue. And God knows how to discipline his people in love. <laughs> so don't you think, oh, if they hear that, they're going to do the hell with the No, that ain't happening. Because God's love will not allow that. He can cover every aspect of everything. So this, because God is sovereign, this is why we can depend upon God's promise in Isaiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting, immutable, omniscient, omnipotent. What's the other one? I forgot where I am. Omnipotent, immutable, sovereign love. So when the Lord says everlasting, what is he doing? He's gathering up all of his attributes into that word everlasting and saying, this is who I am to you and for you. You see, it is the devil, it is this world system that seeks to undermine the truth the understanding of us as believers so we can begin to waver and quake and wonder and question the most essential attribute that we experience, not that there is, that we experience, which is the personal love of God for me and in me by his Holy Spirit because he has sovereignly determined that we would be saved. So John 1.13 says this about being born again. We were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of the sovereign will of God. Why were you born again? Some may answer, I was born again because I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Nope, you got it backward. 
You weren't born again because you asked Jesus anything. You were born again because before the foundation of the world, God created you to be his child. And at the right time, he entered into your heart and changed your heart and your mind. And he saved you to which you then said, Jesus. Do you understand that? We're not here today because we received Jesus. We are here today because God received us. To which we said what? Yes. Listen to this statement of the immutable and sovereign love of God in Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Hmm. And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So when you get shaky, read Jude 24 and 25. Over and over again. Let's talk about God is righteous. Now, up to this point, probably, if you were to ask most people, what kind of God is God? Now, I first have to say this. Thems who say there is no God are not atheists. There is no such thing as a person who does not believe that God exists. Can anybody say amen? Where's my authority, Mike? Do you remember that? Romans number one, verses 19 and 20. Every person has the awareness and the knowledge that God is. And when God says, I've given it to everyone, then the one who says I don't have it, he's lying and not God. So I always say, I never say he's an atheist, George. I say he says he's an atheist. But he isn't. Do we get that? Let's not play the game of Satan here. Stand for the word of God. Well, what will he do? You know, I was on a plane one time. We were flying to Russia, sitting next to the young fella. And, and he and I were talking and he said, I'm an atheist. I said, no, you're not. Well, he isn't. What am I going to say, Renee? Oh, you're an atheist. Oh, my word. Now what do I do? I'm going to try to talk you into believing. I don't have to talk you into believing in God. You already do. He says, yes, I'm an atheist. I said, no, you're not. Andy, I'm not an argumentative person. You can ask my wife. He finally said, what do you mean? Ah. I said, you do believe in God and you know you do. Well, I'm an agnostic. In other words, I believe in a supreme being, but I don't know a lot about him. Okay. And then I said, okay, now let's talk about that then. Why should I talk about his atheism when it's a lie? I'm just like, mm, it's not happening. God is righteous. When we come, when we ask, what kind of a God? Is, oh, he, he, he loves everybody all the time. He's a loving God. The unconditional love. We've heard, have you heard these terms? Is God's un love unconditional? Of course it is not. God's love is conditioned on his character and his nature. And is given upon the condition of his eternal will. God's love is conditional. It's not pell-mell, just everybody and anybody and whatever. That's not the kind of God who is God. So it's when we come to God's righteousness that we encounter the attribute of God's love that is most troubling outside of the church and even some in the church. So I want to take the next three hours to talk about God's righteousness in a little more careful way. So listen carefully what is going to be said. I'll try to stay, stay very closely to my notes so I don't digress. God's, God is righteous means that God is always and comprehensively right 
in himself. Okay, he's correct. In fact, God himself is the very definition of what is right and what is not right. Have you thought of that? Did you know that? If you want to know what's right and what's not right, you go to your Bible. The Lord would tell you. He is himself the very living definition and expression of what is right. This means that all of God's ways and all of his works are right. Each one in keeping with his personal holiness, his personal integrity, his personal moral perfection and excellence. This means that everything that God does is what? Everything that God does is what? And everything that God chooses not to do is also equally right. Now, you know you don't like that. And I sometimes don't like it myself. I mean, Stephen, has God ever done anything in your life that you didn't think that was right? Hmm? Yes. Well, that other Stephen. We don't always think what God is doing is right. Is God sovereignly in the midst of COVID? Do you really think that this is something out of control? Come on. Do you really think that? Did we not just talk about sovereignty? Nathan, did we talk about that? Just then. Does it cover COVID? Come on, y'all can answer. It's okay. Yes. So, is it right what God is doing upon the face of the earth? Now, do I feel it's right? No way. But is it right? Why? Because God is righteous. I, I wrestle with this regularly. Am I the only one who wrestles with this? His righteousness is a big deal, and it's one of the major wrestling points. Since God is right in any and every way whatsoever, that means what about his love? His love is a righteous love. It means that God, and this is going to sound peculiar, and the reason it sounds peculiar to us because we are sown into sin and we're fallen and we are at the essence of our beings, we are egotistical people. Me, 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 everything about me, for me, with me, la, 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 la. And even any and every good deed that I do apart from the will of God is me, 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 me. You didn't know I could sing. Ronald, I'm going to go to the choir next week. He just ran out. No. So what was I talking about? God, and this sounds strange, God loves his own righteousness. Now, now, come on. How many of you know, how many of you really think, this sounds a little strange. Hmm? God loves himself. Remember the love among the persons of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God loves righteousness. Why? Because he is righteous. Therefore, God's love is righteous. He loves righteousness. Righteousness is an expression of his love. Psalm 37, 28. The Lord said, the, the word says, God loves justice. Justice. Who would I like to go on this one? But justice. Please get this definition in your mind when you listen to all this foolishness on the, in the world and even in the church about social justice and how significant it is. There's only one justice, and that is the activity of God's righteousness in and among and for his people. Can you say amen? 
That's justice. Now, does that mean that we don't care about anybody? No, because that would not be God's will. But justice has to do primarily with the will of God and the declaration or the activity of his own personal eternal righteousness. Don't fall for that foolishness out there. And the shame of it is too many in the church, even you get pastors now talking about how can we become, begin to become this and that and the other thing. There is a difference between exercising and walking in justice as the kingdom of God people and allowing the world to see and to benefit from the practice of God's justice and the declaration of his righteous love. Amen. God loves just uh, loves justice. Therefore, it means that his love for his own purity and perfection. Jesus said in John 7, 9, 18, there is no unrighteousness in God. No imperfection. And because God loves justice, here's the problem. Because you see, if you ask the world, do you love justice? Amen, brother, we love justice. Really? Then what you listen, then here's God's reply from Hebrews 1.9. You, meaning the psalmist is talking about God. You have loved righteousness. Amen? And you have hated lawlessness or injustice. You hated it. How many of you love COVID? How many of us hate COVID? Why? Because we love God. We love one another. We love the welfare of the people. We love our health. Amen. The reason we hate is because we first love. And hate is that which is directed against anything that is contrary to or opposing to God's love. The intensity that God has for righteousness is the same intensity that he has for the hatred of all lawlessness or injustice. Injustice. But remember, the central issue in injustice is about God. It's not about this world. It's not about the culture. It's about God. It's about who he is and how he is. Listen to Nahum 1.3. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. This is justice. Listen to the words of Jesus. I never knew you. He's talking to people who practice lawlessness, who are unrighteous. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He kicks them out. And the problem with that is every one of us have been born into the world as sinners, lawless people. Amen? So here we have, at least on the surface of it, that which seems like a real problem for God. How can a righteous God who loves justice rightly love me who am unjust, who is unjust. How can that happen? Can God love an unjust person and remain righteous? Can he do that? Remember what Romans 3.10 says. None are righteous, not even one. There's not a person in this audience who is intrinsically in you, in me, as to our natural self, as to our natural humanity. There's not one of us in this room 
who are righteous. Every one of us are absolutely unrighteous. Can we get that? Do you believe it? So how can a righteous God love us who have been guilty of lawlessness? Where does the answer begin? Now, I gave you a hint. Begin. Where does the answer begin? Yes, Genesis 1.26. Thank you. I heard you out there. That was Brenda Tullis. She's yelling at the television right now. God's purpose for creation. Genesis 126, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You see, God, before the foundation of the world, has determined that he would have a people who would be the corporate expression of the glory of his own son for the father's glory. Image. Therefore, he loves his purpose. And he is determined to create a people of his own love. This is his purpose. His sovereign, immutable, unassailable will. God was right to create a people in whom the glory of his Trinitarian love would be corporally expressed in Christ. But what does Genesis 3, 6 say? Remember after Eve saw the fruit and, hey, hey, I like the looks of it. It tastes good and it's nice for wisdom. It says, she partook of the fruit in the last three words of Genesis 3, 6. He meaning Adam. And he ate. And when Adam ate, being the head of the, head of the woman, being given the authority to lead, at that moment... Sin came into the world, and the entire cosmos was condemned. What does God feel about sin? One sin from one man, one time, destroyed everything. And how many sins have we committed? How many? So you see, what does the love of God do? God will fulfill his purpose. But now he can't fulfill his purpose in an unrighteous people. You see, thankfully, Ephesians 2.4 is in the Bible. The first three verses of chapter 2 in Ephesians are telling us about our sin. Remember, we're dead in sins and we walked according to the course of this world. We were by nature children of wrath. You remember that? What is verse 4 said? But, all of a sudden you have an adversative there. But. But. Now, what does the word but do? It reverses something. I am tall, but he is tall. Does that make sense? Is that good grammar? I am tall, but he is Taller or short. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love. Now, Kurt, when did God know that Adam would sin? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God knew this. How does a righteous God love an unrighteous people? Because of his mercy. Therefore, because God is faithful to his original righteous purpose in creating us to be a people of his love, because of that, he will remain righteous to his purpose by pouring out the mercy of his love upon us who were undeserving of his love. Do you understand this? It's God's righteousness, if you would, I don't like to say it this way, that holds him to his original purpose. It would have been unrighteous for God to have de de destroyed and condemned the entire race. 
Yeah, I've even heard sermons. Well, God, blah, blah, blah. are you kidding? God righteously created a people for his glory. Then Adam sins. Mike, what is God going to do? Chuck it all in and destroy it all and start all over again. Ain't nobody going to know about it. Is that the truth? Who's going to know? God will know. God's purpose is righteous. He created a people for his love. Therefore, when his people rebel, God must be consistent to his own character and his own nature and his own will. Therefore, he will save a people by mercy because he loves his righteous purpose. Can you say amen? Why do you think you're sitting here today? Listen to what Romans 5, 8 says. God demonstrates his own love toward us. When? While we were still sinners. Christ died for us. If God sent his son to die for us and we were in the worst condition. Now that we're saved in the kingdom of God, will he not also continue to minister his righteous purpose in our lives forevermore? Yes or no? Why? God's love is righteous. In this way, God could love us while not denying his own righteousness because our sin has been paid for at the cross. Colossians 1.13, having forgiven us. I'm sorry, I didn't hear the word. I, I, I can't hear. Having forgiven us. All. See it? How much is all? All. You see, now that we have been saved, Jesus has taken to himself the full burden and penalty of our sin. Remember these words in Isaiah 53, 5? He was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed by, for our iniquities. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to be what? Fall upon him. He who was righteous took upon himself our own righteousness. It's as if he clothed himself with the pure, pure impurity and the putrefaction of our own selves when he went to the cross. And he did this so when God punished this man who was judicially sinful, he took the judicialness, the penalty, the law-breakingness of our sin. He didn't take our sin actually and personally into ourselves. He took the penalty of it all. And when he died, the full, final, and forever penalty for every sin of every one of God's children forever have been fully, finally, and forever, what? Forgiven. Is there any sin left out of that transaction? Why? Because God is omniscient. So listen to the results. Second Corinthians 5.21. I don't know if it's in your notes, but if it isn't, write it down. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin, meaning a sin bearer. On our behalf. Why? So that we might become the very righteousness of God in him. And once we, God declared us as his own righteous children because we are forgiven of our sin. Jesus has paid the full in the resurrection. God says, this is my stamp of approval. It is done. It is all paid for. I declare all of those whom I have created to be in Christ, to be in Christ and to be righteous with the righteousness of my own son. And I love my son. I love his righteousness and I love my people with the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, my people are now righteous and I love them. Amen. Are you following me? 
You see, at the cross in the Lord Jesus, God's righteousness, his justice, and his mercy joined hands. Both were fully satisfied. For God not to have been merciful to his ordained people would not have been righteous. No one made him do this. This is who he is. This is who he is. And since in Christ, God has declared us to be righteous in his sight as to the penalty and the punishment and unforgiveness, there is no unrighteousness in any who are in Christ. Do you believe that? Therefore, God loves justice. And in a believer, where does justice reside? In me, in you, if you're in Christ. The world hates this. It hates it. Why? Because Satan hates the love of God. You see, the justice of God being poured out upon his innocent soul, son, so that the mercy of God could be poured out upon us, his guilty people. Therefore, listen to this. Listen to this statement of the righteousness of God. Romans 8.1. This is a statement of the righteous love of God. Therefore, now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is the love of God. This is true justice. So let's close with this from Romans 8, 35 and 36. Who will separate us from the love of God? That's a rhetorical question. Paul's not asking for you to try to figure this out. Will tribulation separate us from the love of God? Why? Look at it. Why? Will tribulation separate us from the love of God? No. Why? God is love. If you say anything else, you're putting it in the wrong place. Will distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword separate us from the love of God? Why? God is love. Will famine separate me from the love of God? Can't hear you. No. Why? Because God is love. Will nakedness separate me from the love of God? No. Why? Because God is love. Will peril separate me from the love of God? No. Why? God is love. Will sword separate me from the love of God? Why? Come on. Come, you can say it. It's okay. Will politics separate me from the love of God? Why? God is love. Will COVID separate me from the love of God? Will mass separate me from the love of God? It is a shame that God's people are quibbling and fighting over this, which dishonors this love of God. It's a shame. This is a dishonor to God. Oh, I know some of you are going to be upset about that. And Keith may have to come back and ameliorate the whole thing. But I am sorry. It has to do with emphasizing me, 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 rather than he, he, he. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I need to remember that the next time, you know, something happens in my life. Will anything or anyone at any time, to any extent, under any reason or circumstance, be able to separate me and you from God's love? Why? Because, see, God is love. Therefore, you see, therefore... We were created.
to be the living corporate expression of this love of God for us and in us, among us. Among us. Among us. This is the unity of the Spirit that creates the church to be wooded, the body of Christ. We are the living corporate expression of Jesus Christ upon the earth. The living corporate expression of God's attributes, of God's love. And anything and anyone at any time for any reason that in any way impinges upon that is an attack by Satan against this love of God, which costs the Son of God his life to the glory of God the Father. This is how our Father is glorified. That you love one another. That you love one another when we agree or disagree about COVID shots, when we agree or disagree about masks, when we agree or disagree about Cantrell, when we agree or disagree about the Democrats or Republicans, we're here for God. We're not here for any of that. We're here for Him. And why are we here? Because what? God is love. Kurt? Let's stand together and sing this song. When my fear and faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold. Through life's fearful path For my love is often cold He must hold me fast And He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so saves are his delight Christ will hold me fast precious in his holy sight he will hold me fast he'll not let my soul be lost his promises shall last bought by him at such a has been satisfied He will hold me fast raised with Him in endless life He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to side when He comes at last and He will hold me fast
loves me so And for my Savior loves me so And he will hold me fast As Father God, we hold our strength not, not in our grip, Lord, of you But in your grip of us, God So may you hold us fast by your love. In Jesus' name, amen.